I'm Megan Armstrong, and this is the Six Feet Above podcast. Six Feet Above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under, to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more I started to talk about it, my struggles, my past, the more I realized that people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I feared for so long. And in fact, other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I wanted to let you know that it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Renee's story. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be here, Megan. Thank you for having me. I'm super honored. Um, My name is Renee Klein, and I live here in Atlanta. I am a wife of my husband, Zach, and a mom of two kids and a vice president with a health and wellness company that I've been with for 16 years. So I'm extremely passionate about helping people live their best life. And my other thing that I focus quite a bit on is telling people my story, my family's story about my sister with mental illness and really helping people be connected and really try to make an impact on the future of mental health. Um, I, I really feel that this is my purpose and a lot of what I do. So I'm really happy to be here. I'm so excited because this is a different perspective. Up until now, everything that we've been talking about, um, I think there's different, it's a different scope of mental illness. And sometimes I think mental illness gets this whole um, negative connotation because it's like somebody's sick, they're, they're, they're ill, right? And it's like, no, you could be from this scope on this end all the way up to this scope on this end. And I feel like with my journey, it's somewhere in the middle. But with your sister's journey, I would say it is severe mental illness. And it goes back to her childhood, which... Um, it's crazy to think that that kids these days are going through some major, major mental uh, health issues. And this was 30 years ago, 32 years ago. So now we talk about it mo- more often and it's becoming more acceptable to talk about. But back then, I would imagine no one really talked about it. And in fact, um, it was probably hidden to a certain extent within your family. So Let's just dive into it. Your sister's younger. Her name is Sandy. And when you first remember what was going on, how old were you and how old was she? So she's 20 months younger than me. And it was from the time she was a toddler, even maybe three or four years old. And she always thought, I was just talking about this with my mom, just trying to remember some of it. She always thought, People were laughing at her. She always felt like she didn't belong in a group of kids. And she always did things a little bit differently. Um, She started having some hallucinations. And I'll give you some examples. She thought fish were in her bed. At three, four years old? Yeah, yeah. She she was really young. And so my parents knew things were going on from an early age. And I just remember... My parents have told me that I loved her so much, and I would just always want to take care of her. Yeah. Um, it was all I knew. It, there was never a change 
it just, she's always was a little bit different, but always with the biggest heart. And okay. she just was so sweet. She just was troubled. So you got along fine with her. Yes. There was never any issue. She was never mean to you or angry with you. It's just, it was, she was kind of in her own world, it seems to- like. Totally in her own world. And that's what's so amazing because there are a lot of people that have struggles that aren't kind to those around them. Right. All she wanted to do was be loved. And I was very close. And I think I wanted to take care of her. Interesting. So at what point did your parents say, okay, we have a, we have a real issue here. Um, we need to address it. She was in, she was eight. So I believe she was in first grade and we were only a school year apart in school. And I just, it was, it was every, it took everything in her to get through the school day. And then she would come home and cry. I mean, my mom was just telling me the story. I've blocked out some of it, to be honest with you. I've been revisiting it recently and it took every ounce of her just to be okay she could barely get through the days and then she'd come home and like lose it at home. And this went on for quite a while. And then finally she just couldn't go to school and they knew they needed to hospitalize her. So she really had like a mental breakdown. She did. She had a, what we call it like a psychotic break at eight. A psychotic break. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they had to take her out of school and then what? So they took her out of school. They got, she was in therapy quite a bit. She was in inpatient hospital for maybe a couple weeks and then she would start coming back to school but she had many episodes like this where things would ramp up and I remember it being seasonal okay I remember the holidays were hard Mm. spring when there was a change in season yeah that was really hard for her so she would be in and out of school often and my parents what I haven't said yet is they are the most amazing human beings yeah they're happily married today. I don't actually know how they've had the strength to deal with this and stay yeah. together. But my dad is a retired physician. My mom is a teacher. They just have such patience. And it was such a family commitment to support her in whatever she needed throughout the many years of this. And so do you remember being hospitalized? when They kept us. It's They really wanted to keep us as normal or our lives as normal as possible. I have a younger brother who's four years younger than me. Okay. So about two years younger than her. And they did everything for us to say normal. I wouldn't ever, I don't ever remember going to a hospital to see her. Really? Because when she was there, she was so sick. Yeah. And I don't think they wanted us to see that. Okay. And so we just went about our business. We have an incredibly supportive extended family. Mm-hmm. We would have babysitters and it, they just made it work during those times. I don't, truly remember them. I, I Again, I think I've blocked some of it out because I was just trying to be okay right, and right. not, you know, fall apart myself, although I didn't know that back then. So were you ever picked on from other people at school? Did, did other people know that this was happening to Sandy? Yeah, they did. And it, like you said, no one talked about it. They, my parents would try to dress her up and make her look normal because mm-hmm. this was never discussed. Right. And, but everyone knew what was going on. They never made fun of me. I was lucky to have a lot of friends. And I think people just felt badly for our family. Okay. Um, Later on in high school, it was hard for me to watch people making fun of her. She would walk down the halls. So she came back to school. She did. She was, she did. She was always kind of in and out of school, but she did go to high school. And, you know, she always just had these little hallucinations where, 
she would kind of like giggle at herself, talk to herself a little bit. It was definitely, she was very different from the mainstream. And I would see people watching her. And that was so painful for me to see people see her. And I remember thinking like, why is she even here? She should be in another place. But I think my parents at the time, there weren't a lot of options and they just did everything they could to get her through and give her as much of a normal life as they could. Right, right. Um, So at at that point during the high school years, you said that she did have an eating disorder as well. Um, So she was taking a lot of medications, obviously had to be heavily, you know, medicated and this eating disorder started. Did they ever know why all this happened? Yeah, so I know, and just in all of my work in the mental health arena, there's always a a side effect or a symptom Mm -hmm. and wanting control. So I think she learned to do that when she was 13 at camp, and it just gave her something to control because her life, yeah, with the eating disorder, so felt out of control. And she was hospitalized for that at one point. Really? Yeah, and it was complicated to manage her eating disorder and the proper meds. So that just made everything a lot more complicated for her in treatment. So did the doctors, and again, this is, you know, 30 some years ago, um, and there's way more research being done now, and I'm excited to talk to you about that as well. But did they ever give your parents a reason why this eight-year-old was going through all this? I mean... Is it still unknown? There really is a genetic component. Okay. My grandmother had some depression issues when my mom was in her 20s. And it, they, I remember the therapist saying back then when she was you know, 8, 10, 12, this was one of the worst cases they had ever seen. Really? It was just an extreme case. And you were living in Chicago at this yeah. time? Well, yeah, okay. we're from Chicago. Okay. And so it was, it was hard. It was just, a, it was genes and then, you know, it became her environment and her friends. She had a few good friends that were really kind to her, but she just was, she never developed any sort sort of a normal life. And she got into theater. That was something that mm. freed her. And then, but then she would think that famous actors were wanting her for their roles. Like she created a lot of scenarios. And so that became almost, you know, I don't even know. Kind of her escapism? Yeah, it was definitely an escape for her. Yeah. While it was good for her, it also wasn't reality. Right, right. So. And you have a younger brother, four years younger, and he's obviously going through this with you as well. Did you kind of rely on each other? Were you close growing up? Or did no one really talk about it? Because your parents did try to keep it pretty pretty normal for the two of you. My parents did so, they did everything right and to try to make it normal for my brother and I. They would take us on vacation and leave my sister home with other family members who could just be with her and give her sort of a vacation. Um, I love my brother. We're so close to the day, to this day, and we definitely stuck together. We have a great relationship. I know it was so much harder for him to be younger than her, uh, especially okay. in school. Yeah. And I was four years older, so I could never be the senior when he was a freshman right. and take him under my wing. I was too, I was older, so I kind of went off and did my own thing. And I think it probably was a lot harder for him okay. to be younger than her. It seems. It yeah, seems it, was, it had a, such an impact on him. Yeah. 
did she ever go to she could she go to college so she ended up my parents again they just found ways to get her through she graduated with a degree at a local illinois school and she's smart i mean she's a smart person she can't always focus okay but back it's gotten worse as she's gotten older but back then she was able to graduate college which was a really huge goal for my parents for her she probably lived at home with them she did she lived at home a little bit on campus a little bit again nothing was ever permanent right right it was always a process kind of make it work in the moment don't worry about tomorrow exactly interesting exactly so you opened up to me that you really haven't talked about this or really dealt with it. And it sounds like you're still dealing with it because you're kind of coming up with these, oh yeah, I remember that when I was younger and this, and which is totally normal when anyone goes through anything at a young age, it gets buried. Um, but you said it wasn't until about three years ago that you started to share your story and kind of make it your mission to become involved in mental health and mental illness. So, you know, for you in your adult life from the time that this was going on and you really remember the stuff happening when you were in high school till about three years ago and, you know, that's like a 20-year span, um, what was going on with you? Did you just kind of choose to block it out or didn't know how to handle it? Or what was the turning point when you're like, I do want to talk about it. I do want to help people. This is happening to more people than just our family. So that's a great question. So it was just a part of me. It was my story. I had this great family, um, but I had a sister who was sick. And that was just what it was. I didn't talk a ton about it. Deep down, I knew I would do something really important with it in my life. And my mom, and I'm so inspired by her, about 20 years ago, when it just got horrible, um, my sister, my mom did a lot of research and she found that the California um, state funding was really the best for people with mental illness and for housing. So she got very educated on, you know, if you're, if you don't have the finances, someone with mental illness ends up in a state hospital. So funding is really an important thing. So my sister um, went out to Santa Barbara, California, and it was in, she's been in group homes out there ever since. But she can live independently within the group home environment. So she has, you know, people that check on her. She's got therapists out there. That's been really the thing that has saved her life and given her is a little bit of independence. So mm-hmm. my mom got really involved in NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And she started teaching a class, a course, to help other families cope. Wow. And I think, like she said to me one time, I would never want to, I would never wish this on anybody, but if there's a silver lining, I know there's so many families I've helped save and stay together because of the course that she teaches. And she's on the board and she's extremely knowledgeable um, just with the, laws and just in fundraising. So I watched her do all this and I was just proud of her. So happy for her to be able to give back and to start talking about it and to put it somewhere because it was just hidden for so many years. And I kind of knew I would do something, but I didn't know what. Mm -hmm. So about three years ago, I had done some mission work in Haiti and I came back and my husband and I did a trip up the California coast and we stopped to see my sister 
And I really saw her for the first time in her environment, like from her eyes, Mm -hmm. from her view. We rode the bus with her. She knew all the street people in Santa Barbara. She knew them by name. Those were her friends. And I just remember thinking, I have a daughter. I have a child who at the time was 11 years old. You know, you can't, it's not your fault if you have a gene that causes you to be depressed or sad or have the mental illness. And so I just said, this is not okay. There's so much work for other diseases. What about this? And so the irony is when you're looking for a solution, something appears. Mm -hmm. And so my parents had been to the recent NAMI convention where they learned about an organization called the Prechter Family Fund, which is at the University of Michigan, where I happen to have gone to school. And they're working on, they're doing a lot of stem cell research. So the genetic component of bipolar and associated disorders. And I remember thinking, that's my thing. I need to start telling my story because people might look at me, my family, and think, oh, they they have it together. Because what I've learned is, and if I can get one thing across, you never know what someone else is feeling or experiencing, whether it's them directly or their family or their friends. And so I just, even though I'm a pretty private person, I just went on Facebook and I told my story and it went viral. And all of the the ripple effect of that has really led to so many good conversations, so many good connections, and, and given people the ability to just say, hey, I have a story too, whether yeah. it's similar or different. And so ever since then, I'm doing everything I can to connect with people and collaborate on this topic and just to give people the freedom to share what's going on because the earlier you can share what's happening, the better quality of life you can have. I believe that wholeheartedly. So that's kind of where we are today. Well, and and this is, you know, this is a severe mental illness we're talking about. This is debilitating. This is, she really, you know, she's living on her own, but she's living in a home. Like she'll never have quote unquote, a normal life, like you said. And I think it's so important to what you said about, you never know what is happening behind closed doors with someone's family. And that was something that took me a very long time to learn because I was in such a dark place myself that I was incredibly judgmental and incredibly angry. And yes, I had to work a lot on those issues, but I also had to work on the way that I thought about other people. And I, there are a lot of people in my life I probably should apologize to at some point, but it's, it wasn't until I started like talking about it and voicing it that I realized, oh, I I am doing this or I am judgmental or, you know, it would be so easy to to walk around your family 30 years ago and be like, oh, there's crazy Sandy, right? So the sense of compassion that you allude is so amazing. Like you can see it. Um, And we literally only met two weeks ago, (laughs) literally two (laughs) weeks ago. And we were put in touch by a mutual friend and, and I told her, you know, told Renee my story and she's like, oh my gosh, you were put in my path for a reason. Um, And this is the reason because we're finally talking about it. And I don't know a lot about this type of mental illness to the point where, you know, you are um, hospitalized and you are in a, in a group for the rest of your life. Um, But I do know from my experiences that the only way to make this better for everyone and every family member going through it whether you're on this side of the spectrum or this side is to just start talking about it. So 
props to you for opening up and after 20 years to finally say, hey, this is my life. This is my story. And I remember when we first started talking, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be good for your podcast because it's not really my story. And I said, it's absolutely your story because mental health and illness, and it affects everybody. It affects your friends, your family, your coworkers. Um, Everyone that you're in contact with is part of it. So you might not be Sandy, but this is very much your story and your journey. Um, so thank you for just opening up on this on this platform yes. to talk about it. So let's talk about NAMI and what your, your mom is doing there and this research that's happening at Northwestern, which is very exciting. So she's really, she brings in a lot of authors to, to who have written books about their own story and share... She just wants to not just continue the conversation, but really get it to such a point and bring a lot of attention to it and give people the platform mm-hmm. that they can impact others. So she's been really good at, you know, finding people to work with and to collaborate with. She does a lot with group funding for group home funding. The hardest thing is finding a place for people with mental illness that where they can live in a safe place with some independence because people don't want to necessarily give money to that because they're afraid of it. Right. But the truth is if we help people live better, some of the things that they're afraid of won't happen in the world. Right. And so my mom is super passionate about that. And she just does a coping class for families that have just either lost someone or just learned about or identified what the mental illness is. So she's done so much great work at NAMI. And then the Prector Family Fund, I'm really excited about what they're doing because it really, she's maybe, I would say, more on the back end mm-hmm. once you've learned about a mental illness or group homes. But I'm more con- interested in the future yeah. of it and early prevention. You know, if you, lear- if you learn that a teenager has a lot of anxiety, you probably wouldn't send them to a high-pressure university. Right. And now that I have teenagers almost myself – We've got to talk about this. The other thing that's so been so interesting, I've heard people speak, um, someone who lost a child at Northwestern, the biggest mi- misconception is people think, I don't want to introduce any thoughts of self-harm or depression or anxiety because I don't want to give the people any ideas. Mm. And what he said is, trust me, mm-hmm. they're already having them and yep. they're already feeling them. So his whole thing is no shame, speak up. Yeah. And so if you add in the genetic component and learn how to take care of yourself early on, right. you may not get to that point. So we can completely transform the future of mental health, learning about it. Yeah. It, it's, it is, there's a gene. And yeah. if we learn about it, we can treat accordingly. What does a family do at, you know, that point when they see a child like this, who do they talk to? Is it like a primary care doctor or somebody more specialized, like, you know, the Snellmi group? Like, what, what's the step? What is so the next step? You start with your primary care, and then they would probably refer you to a child psychologist who then might refer you to a psychiatrist. And, you know, my mom really tries to get the NAMI um 
just the services they provide out there because there's so many services yeah. that people can take advantage of if they knew about them. Right. So that's part of what we're doing. And I just want to go to back to one point that sure. you said. If you know you have a three, four, or five-year-old or whatever age and someone, you know, their sleep patterns are changing and they're just not happy and you, their personality changes, it's just paying attention and not just saying, oh, they're in a phase. Right. But there's such freedom in letting the person be who they are on a, at an early age so they're not trying so hard to be a, you know, put a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. And if we can celebrate who people are, I think it would make such a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, but it's hard to understand if you've never been there. So a parent that's never had to really deal with it, all of a sudden they're, they have a kid living under their roof that they're responsible for, then they feel responsible that they are that way. And it's like, we need to take some of that responsibility off parents too um, and give them, you know, the courage and and the power to help and not feel like it's their fault either. Like it's nobody's fault. So one thing that I think might be helpful advice as a being a parent myself, I think trust your intuition. Mm-hmm. If you see your child that isn't happy in an environment, don't be afraid. Don't don't push those feelings away. Right. Talk to your doctor. See if there might be something. To, there's nothing wrong with therapy, with getting help. I'm t- I talk about everything now. Yeah. I'm an open book. And with my own children, if I see something that I'm a little bit concerned about, I'm gonna I'm gonna really be their advocate. So if parents could feel comfortable, yeah, being their children's advocate whatever it may be, it's going to be better than it would have been if they ignored it. Right. And realize that they're probably, I mean, I remember, especially my teenage years, the last person I wanted to listen to was my mom or dad, you know? So if I had someone else to kind of listen to me and just talk about it and not feel like it's another doctor that just needs to fix me and here's another medication that I have to go on and try. It's like if we had a different sort of platform where, kids and teenagers could actually connect maybe something like this to make it just okay to talk about. So that's kind of the goal with with this whole thing. Um, I do want to talk about the way that people respond um, to mental illness. You've made it your mission now. And I think people that are close to it, um, other siblings and other family members, deal with it differently. So what have you seen from now that you've been doing this for the past three years, what do you see kind of the different ways that other people handle siblings or parents or, you know, someone close to them going through this? I think that there are people are more supportive than you would imagine. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you start talking about it, they have their own story, whether it's how it's affected them or someone else. But when in my immediate family, you know, I don't blame anyone for what happened in my childhood. I definitely am an overcoming perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist <laughs> because I had to be okay Yeah, because of that. Um, I think it was really hard on my little brother being younger than her. And like some animosity or yeah, anger. Yeah, she took all of, the, my, all of the time and attention because it was such an extreme situation. Yeah. And so yeah. I feel for him. I'm so proud of him for living an incredible life. He's married with three kids himself, but that was really hard for him to be younger than her. Yeah. I was older. I went off. I did my own thing. 
I mean, I'll tell you this. We were never the house where we had people over. Really? And as sad as that is, it just it w- wasn't like a comfortable place. Yeah. We were always a little bit on eggshell. So I think that probably impacted him more. Okay. That makes sense. Which is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what would you tell someone that, you know, is struggling to comprehend what is happening to somebody? Because this is like, this is definitely... Uh, way more in depth than any sort of just, you know, depression or bipolar. Like she was diagnosed with bipolar technically. Yeah. Or... Bipolar, manic depression, but then there were some hallucinations right. in there. So she had quite a collection of things that it impacted her life. So I guess the biggest thing would be if someone, you know, is going through any of this is to do a little research, to try to understand what they're going through. Um, and then have a sense of compassion about it. Um, and we talked about it briefly before, but that's something that you in all aspects of your life are, you're a compassionate person. You try to understand and you try to look at it from a different angle. Um, have you always been that way? I think I have been, I think I always just wanted to help people be better. Yeah. Just, and and just, you know, we all just, I think we just all do the best we can. And so I think people, you have to have proper expectations and just appreciate everyone's individuality. Yeah. And, you know, what standard are we holding people to? You know, we just have to be a little bit kinder. And I think in this whole world, if we were a little bit kinder, things would be better. But people just bring their stuff and put it on others. Yeah. And I didn't do that. I didn't take what happened to me in my family and make anyone feel badly for having a more quote unquote normal. And I say that quote unquote air quotes because <laughs> there is no normal. Right. That's not even a goal. Normal isn't a goal. We just are who we are. But I think people take a lot of their baggage and put it on other people. Right. And if we could stop doing a little bit of that and just make it about the other person, we'd be better off. Like you could have easily used this as an excuse and played the victim and been angry about it. And you know, maybe your childhood was a lot different than a lot of people's and, and that could have carried through your adult years. Um, it sounds like maybe you blocked out some of it, which is, is kind of a way to cope and deal, but you're doing a lot of um, work to kind of bring those things up now so that you understand you understand what other people are going through now. But I also want to, I have to give my parents credit. Yeah. I, I had a great life. I mean, yeah. There's definitely some things that I'm having to now say, hey, this isn't okay. I'm not just going to be okay with it. But I had a great, I, I danced throughout college. I had great friends. I've had great relationships. I've been married for 18 years. I feel so thankful for my life. I've learned so much. I think I always look at like, you know, the silver lining. I learned to be kind to people mm-hmm. because I saw how my sister was treated. And I just feel like if you see someone struggling, let lend your arm, lend your hand out to them versus saying, no, no, that's too much for me, or I don't want to be around that person. Like, you can be the difference in their life by just being kind. So mm-hmm. I think that's the positive. My yeah. family, like, we really understand what it's like to go through something. And so we all have the power to make a difference for someone else. Yeah. And that's one thing that actually helped me a lot. Um, when when I always do a pre-interview with everyone, we grab coffee and I just talk before we actually come on. And it, 
the tables kind of turned because you started interviewing me, which was interesting. And <laughs> I, I was do like, that sometimes. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, what's happening here? Um, but but one thing I was telling you is in my a way for me to kind of get out of the darkest of places was for me to start focusing on other people. And once I started sharing my story and then other people would talk and I would start to give them advice or like, hey, this worked for me or like, what if you approached it differently? I was like, well, once I started actually thinking about someone else going through something, it took the focus off of me and put it on them. And then they were like, wow, thank you for that. And then that made me feel better about myself. So it was like this weird role reversal. So I think if you see people going through that, you know, like lend the hand, do whatever you need to do because it will actually make you feel better. It's almost like a a selfish act in its own because it made me feel better about myself actually starting to help other people. And every time we release a new podcast, I'm like on a high for two or three days because I hear all these messages coming in, how it's helping other people. So even if you're not the one going through it, just understand that like you sharing something that you went through previously might actually help someone who's going through it right now. Um, where was your dad in all of this? You know, my dad, he's an emergency room physician, smartest guy. My men, like I, he's my role model. He was able to compartmentalize okay. because of his background. He understood it. And honestly, that's what I think is what strengthened my parents' marriage. My mom, it was her daughter, it was her child. It was so upsetting. But my dad understood, you know, the medical aspect of it. And so he just, he was just a great dad and solid, did his work, incredible career, raised us, and really supported my mom in her journey through Mm -hmm. it all. And what you just said, what she has done with NAMI, I mean, I just... She has such joy. We just about three weeks ago, we just did the NAMI walk. This is kind of a cool story. You'll appreciate it. So with my sister, it was always, everything was compartmentalized. She would do the walk in Chicago, but they didn't want me to come home to take away from her. And then I finally just said about a month ago, I'm coming. I don't, I'm doing all this work on my own. Yeah. We need to do this together. So literally I was locked arms with my sister doing this NAMI walk and my parents called me after and they said that she said for the first time in 40 years thank you mom and dad for all you've done for me and i know i'll cry right now but (laughs) it was like the talk about a full circle for my family and so i think when you actually lean in yeah that's where magic can happen and so it's really been amazing and I just, it, that's something I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. So for so long, your parents want to make sure that you were okay and she was okay and your brother's okay separately. Right. right. But you're like, no, 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 we're not in this. We're in this together. Yeah. And if she's going through it, I want to be going through it too. Yeah. That's incredible. And actually, it, I think she felt empowered and not like embarrassed. Right. Because we did this little video of her talking and with yeah. her voice and I think that empowered her. And I couldn't believe the words that flew out of her mouth. I didn't even know where she got that language. But clearly, all the work my parents have been doing had an impact on her. And so that was very meaningful. Yeah. And so that's where we are today. It's that was been a cool an ama- video. Yeah, it was amazing. You, you said that there, there have been times in her life when she is literally unable to talk and, and literally sitting in a chair and cannot function and and and. and 
you know, converse with anybody. So to get to that point and see that video was really cool. Yeah, it was, the clarity was amazing. But it's 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 incredible that it took that long for you to finally kind of take the control you could and, and say, no, I'm gonna be a part of this. And to take myself out of it, I think yeah. people make everything about themselves. The totally. minute you take yourself out of the equation and fo- like you just said, focus on someone else, that is where you really have influence. Yeah. And that is where you can really help someone. And so I just said, this is not about me, but I want to leave this legacy for my family and to turn our situation into hope for other people and to just make things better. We can't make it go away, but we can make it better. The, the influence that you have now on, you know, it's like, where, where does the change even begin? There's all the crap happening in the world. Like, it just seems so overwhelming. And it's like, well, if adults can kind of take responsibility and lead by example, their kids see how they're leading and they're going to do that to their peers. And it becomes this sort of snowball effect in a great way. Mm-hmm. Um and I see, and I don't, I've never met your husband or your kids, but I can tell that you are leading by that example. Do you sit down with your kids and like really ask them how they're feeling or really like what's going on with their emotional side? Like, yes, I'm sure everyone gets in the car and how was your day? How was this, this, and this? But like really kind of connect with them on a different level, maybe different than other parents are doing because you've been through this. I think that the people I'm friends with are very like-minded, mm-hmm. so we're all really connected to our kids. They've seen the work I've done over the years, both in my health coaching and leadership, as well as you know phil- philanthropic work. And they so they see it. And now that they're older, we don't just say, "How was your day?" I was like, right. "Tell me the funniest part about your day, mm. the worst part." And I mean, if we get to the best, because that the best isn't always what you need to hear. Right. And then if so, they'll tell me something that happened, and I'll say. Well, what happened right before that? Interesting. Someone taught me that once. And so I just ask a lot of questions. My son's name is Carter. We call him Curious Carter. He asks a million questions. (laughs) And honestly, he's my inspiration to ask a lot of questions. And so they know they can talk to me and they know that they're safe and that there's not judgment. And I think that they're our future generation. So if we can teach them to be compassionate and to think about other people and to be able to speak about how they're feeling... I mean, I've seen so many situations in my own kids where, where they've said to me, Mom, I'm so glad I got to talk to you about this. And so that is the greatest gift as a parent. Yeah. And one thing I do want to start talking more about is um, the fact that we teach kids all of these things, right? They go to school, they learn so many different things, but they're not really taught how to handle emotions. And those are things that you have to deal with your entire life. And emotion and pain is pain, whether you're four or whether you're 44, it doesn't matter if it makes you feel a certain way, then it makes you feel a certain way. So really being open to kids, like talk to them, you know, like adults to a certain extent, because what they're feeling is very valid and it's very real. And it might be a silly or a stupid circumstance from an adult point of view. It's like, well, that's ridiculous. That doesn't matter. But no, it does. It matters to them right now in that age, what they're going through. Um, So if we can kind of teach kids how to handle emotions and hey, 
tough crap is going to happen your entire life. Like you're going to go through stuff. But if you learn how to handle it from a young age, then chances are once they're a teenager, once they're in their 20s, once they're in their 30s, you know, they can adapt and actually um, use it in a positive way versus letting it kind of spin them into anxiety or depression or whatever at an older age. So I don't know how we do that other than to just say, hey, maybe this is something we should start talking about and doing. Well, I think resilience is a habit. You and I, I know it's hard to believe we met two weeks ago, <laughs> but we have so much. And I I think everything, being a healthy person is a yeah. habit. Resilience is a habit. And if the kids feel something at four, if you don't allow them to feel it and talk through it, at 44, it's going to be 10 times worse. Exactly. So we have to take everything seriously. Back to my early prevention. Yeah. And it's just... Early awareness maybe is a better even word because we're not preventing something. Feelings are feelings. It's just early awareness and discussion Mm -hmm. because I know this for me. I do business coaching and things that I've had to learn as I practice it, when that thought comes in my head of comparison, I I now know to go back to, oh, no, 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 I have to be me. I can't compare myself. So I just think we have to practice this constantly and talk about it right that it's okay and normal and really amazing actually yeah so yeah I have a a girlfriend um she's my lifelong friend she has three kids and I'll be in the car and I'll be I'll be on speakerphone and the way that she speaks to her kids I'm like I'm I I love the way that she talks to them and 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 she she explains to them why she's doing something so that they understand or she explains to them why they cannot do something so that they understand versus just saying, no, you can't do that. You can't have this. Or you, she actually like talks to them like a peer to a certain extent. And, and I tell her all the time, I'm like, I love the way you parent. I, I'm so envious of, of that and I hope to do that one day myself. Um, but I want to go back to what you just said about mental awareness, mental health awareness, mm-hmm. And this is kind of cool. When we first talked, you were talking about mental health awareness and all of this. And I said, you know what? Like, that's great. That's great that we're all aware. We all know this mm-hmm. is happening. We right. all know it's important. Mm-hmm. But something I told you was that it has to be mental health empowerment. Because how do you deal with it? How do you handle it? We all know it's happening. Just like, you know, your physical health. Yes, it's important. We all know that. There's no physical health awareness month. Right. Because it exists. Like it's just there. So I think it's great that we have a mental health awareness month, but hopefully it's it shifts to actual movement. You know, being aware is wonderful, but what do you do after that? What are the next steps? So this whole platform is to kind of teach people with all different walks of life, like how do you handle it? We know it's happening. Now what do you do? Um, so I appreciate you you know, opening up about something very um, personal and know that it's going to help another family. Well, thank you for including me in your journey. And I'm so excited to be a part of it and help in every way because you're going to do great things. (laughs) Thank you. I hope so. Is there anything you want to else, anything else you want to add to um, this conversation of, of real mental illness? I just think that my sister once told me I didn't want to be this way. And so I think when you see someone that's struggling, it can be really frustrating. I've had many people in my life that have issues. And even if it has frustrated me, 
you have to remember it wasn't a choice. Most of the time they don't want to be that way and most of the time they would give anything to get better. So if we could all learn just a little bit more patience and compassion, I think that there are probably people in your life right now that you could make a huge difference for, even if it's just saying, I know you're struggling, I'm here for you and I love you. Like something as simple as that. If we all could do that a little bit better and make a difference. That's really what I want to say. 100%. Well, thank you, Renee, for telling your story. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Six Feet Above. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode and follow me on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Denor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smolian, and the music was by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.